0: First Bible reading is Psalm 145 verses 1 to 21 you can find this on page 630 in the church Bible and the second passage is from Luke 4 chapter 4 verses 31 to 44 and you can find that on page 1036 but the first reading is on page 630 Psalm 145 They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. The second reading can be found on page 1036 in the Church Bibles. Um, It's Luke 4, verses 31 to 44. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, he came out of him having done him no harm and they were all amazed and said to one another what is this word for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out of and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region and he rose and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea.
1: Morning, everyone. My is Josh, one of the pastors across St. Matt's and Wild Street. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, This is a little bonus St. Matt's time for me. The plan wasn't for me to be here this morning, which is exciting for me, but is sad for Andy uh, because in God's providence, as we're looking at today, Simon's mother-in-law gripped by a fever, as is Andy all this week. Um, So you can pray for Andy and, uh, yeah, pray he gets better soon. Uh, I want to tell you about a time that our senior minister, Rod Cocking, completely betrayed me. Uh, This is about a month ago, I came across this photo on Kurt's Facebook page. Now, Kurt was the minister here before, and if you don't know him, and uh, this was the caption on the photo. It said, The staff tricked me. Thought they bought tickets for me and Kelly, his wife, but when we arrived to the musical, they were there to surprise me. Were we, (laughs) Kurt? Notice who's not in the photo, of the whole staff team. They went to a musical without me. I was completely betrayed. Except, I actually wasn't. See, I misunderstood the purpose of our present to Kurt. I thought we were paying for Kurt and Kelly to go to a musical, a lovely present. In reality, we were meant to be paying for us to go with them. I misunderstood the purpose of Kurt's present. To misunderstand the purpose of something has consequences, doesn't it? I thought Rod completely betrayed me. The pastor we're looking at this morning wants us to get crystal clear on the purpose of why Jesus came. We see Jesus guided with an absolute clarity of what he was here to do. uh, And it's vital for us to look deeply at and get clarity on. Why? Why? Why does it matter if we're clear on why Jesus came? What's the problem with misunderstanding? Well, first, if you misunderstand what Jesus came to do, you'll miss out on what he came to bring. If you misunderstand what Jesus came to do, then you'll miss out on what he came to bring, and that's significant. But second, you might be thinking, I know, I know what Jesus came to do. That's not a question that grabs me. There's you know, probably not that much in the next 20 minutes for me what you're going to see is that there's a clarity to jesus life that is probably missing from yours and there's a great corrective in here that will help you to grow as a disciple that follows in the footsteps of your king and so it's great that you're here this morning to look at luke chapter 4 why did jesus come let's have a look at point one jesus came with authority to teach and to tear down satan have a look at verse 31 And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Jesus arrives in Capernaum and as he normally does on the Sabbath, he heads to the local synagogue and begins to teach. And the response is that people are astonished at his teaching. So unfortunately, it's probably nothing like the sermon you're going to hear today. But did you see why people were astonished? Verse 32, for his word possessed authority. See, the way that religious leaders, mainly Pharisees, would teach in Jesus' day was that they'd constantly quote older authorities to give their word power and authority itself. Uh, This is what it was said. It was said that, uh, that the teachers of the day were in bondage to quotation marks. They could never just say things themselves because their own words didn't carry authority. But when Jesus turns up and speaks, he reads God's word and then speaks words that have authority in themselves. Jesus' words have authority. So how does he use them? Verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out in a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. A man possessed with the spirit of a demon who instantly recognizes who Jesus is, And with a word, Jesus casts out this servant of Satan, commanding him to be silent. And the people are amazed again at the authority of Jesus' words. In the accounts of exorcisms, there tends to be all kinds of rituals that people usually need to perform, a whole series of things. But Jesus just speaks a word and casts out this demon. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, has anyone noticed so far how many miracles has Jesus done in Luke's gospel up till this point? Yell it out if you've got the answer. How many do you think Jesus has done in Luke's gospel so far? How many do you reckon, Anna? One. one. Close. Back one. None. This is the first one that Luke records. Why is that? Have you thought about why does Luke start with this one? I take it Jesus did a whole bunch of miracles. Why is this the first one that Luke records for us? Well, it's because it signals something something significant about what Jesus came to do. At the start of chapter 4, we see that Jesus resists Satan. In our passage last week, we saw that Jesus proclaimed himself as the one who would free captives from bondage, verse 18. And now here we see Jesus going on the offensive against Satan's power, releasing a man from captivity to one of Satan's demons. He's announcing that Jesus is here to overthrow Satan and evil, which is hugely significant. Because while we don't think about it much in the Western world, the truth that the Bible presents is that the spiritual world is real, that Satan is real that he has real power over humanity. The Bible describes Satan as the prince of this world and that we're under the power of his rule. He influences us to turn from God so we become his enemies, objects of his wrath. He did it with Adam and Eve in the beginning and he's been doing it ever since. His rule has plagued humanity with the highest of possible consequences. But when Jesus turns up, Satan's minions are terrified of him. Have you come to destroy us, they say. And Jesus casts him out with a word like it's nothing. Jesus' power and authority over Satan is significant, hugely significant for mankind. Jesus came to set us free from Satan's rule and his dominion. It's amazing. And we see it right at the start of Jesus' ministry. He uses his authority... To overthrow the evil one. So, is that why Jesus came? Is that the full picture? Well, yes, and yet there's more. Have a look at the next section, point two. Jesus came to heal. Have a look at verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother in law was ill with a high fever. And they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Jesus isn't only interested in the spiritual world and the spiritual lives of people. No, he cares about people's physical needs. And so after the synagogue, he goes back to Simon's Peter's house. It's probably for a chicken and chip lunch after church. Uh, and he finds Simon's mother-in-law who is significantly ill with a fever. And again, with a word, Jesus rebukes the fever and it leaves her immediately. It's nothing. Trump card. Word gets out about what Jesus can do and people are chomping at the bit to see Jesus for healing. You can tell because a crowd races out to Jesus. Verse 40, when the sun was setting. See, it was the Sabbath and people couldn't kind of go out for healing and do stuff on the Sabbath. So they got away and kind of the second that the sun starts to come behind the first building... People are off and it's on like Donkey Kong. All who are sick come to Jesus and he heals every single one of them. Could you imagine being there? Just what that would be like. Maybe you had a disease since you were born or or your life maybe revolves around caring for someone with an illness. And you come to Jesus and he heals you immediately. And not just you, everybody in your town who was sick life-changing surely this is why jesus came is there anything more impressive more amazing more worthwhile than this jesus says absolutely there is but before we get there quick aside because we can read a section like this i reckon and just kind of think what do you do with it It's amazing, but it just seems so far from our experience and what we would ever expect, right? What do you do with a bit of text like this? Well, first, we're to be in awe of Jesus with his power and his authority and what that says about who he is. But second, we're to see clearly that God is able, he has and he does heal. And we're told to ask for it. James 5:14 that's the reference if you want to look it up God has does is able to heal and yet immediate physical healing is never promised why because it's not the priority which is exactly what we see in the last section point 3 Jesus' priority is to proclaim the kingdom Jesus has just healed a whole town of people. And so, understandably, the next day he tries to retreat somewhere by himself to spend time with his father. Have a look at what happens. Verse 42. When it was day, he departed, went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Uh, jesus accidentally leaves his location on on find my iphone or maybe had that COVID app kind of still running so people could track him the people were able to find him and they want to make sure that he never leaves which is fair enough he's healed so many people and he could jesus could go around to every hospital clear every bed of every sick person ever but he doesn't isn't that crazy that Jesus could literally go to every hospital, not there were probably hospitals then, but he could have gone to every town, every... Yeah, that's not what he did. Why? What could be more important, valuable, or worthwhile than that? Verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. The primary reason Jesus came was to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's why he was sent. It's so clear and so strong to him that he says he must proclaim it. He can't help but proclaim it. He's completely compelled to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So what is it? What is the kingdom of God exactly? What, what's the good news that is about it? Kingdom of God. How, how would you describe or how would you explain to someone the kingdom of God? Is it heaven? Something more? Something slightly different? Here's a helpful summary The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. Kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule Uh, see right back in the beginning in Genesis Adam and Eve were God's people they lived in the garden of Eden in God's place and they lived face to face with God perfectly under his rule it was paradise God's kingdom in the beginning but they sinned and so they were kicked out of the kingdom out of God's place out of relationship with him no longer under his loving rule and then you skip forward to Exodus and you get the amazing story of God rescuing Israel from, from Egypt. What does God say? He says, I'm going to make you my people. He says, I'm going to bring you to a special place that I've prepared for you. And you'll be able to live there as long as you live under my loving rule. Which they did for a time. Yet it was never as good as it was in the beginning because their sin kept getting in the way, but they were there. Until one day their sin was so great, they get kicked out again, taken off to Babylon and Assyria, away from God's land, away from God's rule, no longer his people. And then God sends his prophets to announce that one day God's people would come to live in God's perfect place, face to face with him, perfectly under his perfect rule forever. And that this time, anyone can be part of it, And it won't rely on you to stay in it. You can't stuff it up. You can be part of it no matter who you are, and you can't lose it no matter what you do. And Jesus proclaims that the good news is that I am here to bring that kingdom. Now, a kingdom that won't be conditional on what you do for God, but what I'm going to do for you, in living a perfect life, in dying and rising so that you can be part of this kingdom, forever see when you get what the good news of the kingdom is it's obvious why this is the priority for Jesus so much more significant than fixing our bodies that will just break again is fixing our relationship with God and bringing us into his kingdom that can never be broken or taken away this is why Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God so why doesn't he just do that If it's so important, why does he bother healing, casting out demons, if that's kind of just a sideshow thing and his priority is somewhere else? Have you ever thought about that? Why is there any account of Jesus doing anything else other than just proclaiming the kingdom? Well, partly it's compassion. Jesus has compassion for the people around him, so he heals. Partly it's to show who he is, that his word and authority to uh, to, to heal and defeat Satan He does it like only God can. It shows you who he is. But the key thing is that it shows what the kingdom that he's proclaiming is like. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing is a place with no more evil, no more sin, no trace of Satan or sickness of any kind, no reason to ever shed a tear. That is what God's kingdom is like. And that's why it's such good news that Jesus came to proclaim it and that he came to bring it. So what do we do with all this? Point four, I've got two implications. First, the offer of the kingdom is open to you. Don't misunderstand what Jesus came to do because you'll miss out on what he came to bring. If you think Jesus' purpose was to be a good moral teacher, a spiritual leader, or that he's some old dead guy that traditional people seem to like, then you've missed the point. And you'll miss out on eternal life in God's kingdom if you don't see Jesus for who he is and accept what he came to do. The reality is that none of us deserve to be part of God's perfect eternal kingdom. But we can be. Naturally, we're under the rule of Satan and sin and our future is death eternally. But it doesn't have to be. This is the good news that Jesus came to proclaim, the good news he came to bring. But it only becomes good news for you if you accept it. Will you accept it? Will you trust and depend on Jesus to become part of God's kingdom? Second, As disciples, there's a challenge for us to grow in our clarity of having a kingdom-focused life. Jesus is crystal clear that proclaiming and bringing the kingdom is the thing that matters. He'll heal to show what the kingdom's like, but he's clear that he'll stop and leave a town because he must proclaim the good news to the other towns as well. There's an incredible clarity to what Jesus must do. As a disciple of Jesus, I imagine that like me, you've got a long way to go in having a clarity like Jesus, where proclaiming and living for the kingdom is the priority of your life. Just have a think about your life and what you put after the word must, or what you put after the word need. I must have a day off. I need to have good holidays this year. I must have eight hours sleep. I need to have enough savings. In the morning, I must have brekkie in a shower. I couldn't do my day. I couldn't start without those. If I'm running late, I can probably do without the Bible. It's okay. That's not what makes me a Christian. That's true, but I need to have a shower. My sense is that we rarely, or never, really use the word need or must when it comes to things of the kingdom. I must serve this way. I must tell someone of how great church was on the weekend so I can have that conversation with them. I must give away as much money as I can for the work of the kingdom. And yet we regularly use must, need, for a bunch of other things that don't really relate to the kingdom at all. Think about what comes after need or must for you. What are the things you tend to say that about? It's probably the same for me as it is for you. It's so easy for us to lose clarity and start to live a bit for comfort, a bit for experience, a bit for material things, a bit for the praise of others. And my sense is we tend to not really notice. A particular danger for me, and so I assume a danger for you, is I can look back to and trade on uh, the past glories of my Christian life. And so I can lose clarity now without even realizing That is, I can look back to a time when I was on fire for Jesus, living with clarity for his kingdom, no matter how long ago it was, how far back in my mind it is. And I assume that because I was doing it back then, I must still be doing it now. I'm fine now. A a danger for me is to look back to eight years ago when I quit my job to do an apprenticeship at church and move into full-time paid ministry. Uh, I made a decision for the kingdom back then where I was thinking clearly about the kingdom. And so I assume, of course, I'm all good now. Of course I'm living for the king. Of course that's my priority. Don't you see what I did eight years ago? All the way back then. And yet this week I went for a shower over the Bible in the morning. What period, where do you look back to? What's the period that you look back to? How far back was it? It's so easy to lose clarity, isn't it? How do we get there? How do we lose that clarity? I reckon there's, it's for one reason in three parts. The reason is we're lacking in understanding about the good news of the kingdom. We lack in our understanding of the good news of the kingdom. Part one is we're not clear on how good the kingdom is. There's a danger that we think life's pretty good here. We don't need to long for the kingdom to come because how much better could it be? The answer is that it's unimaginably better. The best day you've had on earth is rubbish compared to life in God's kingdom. Just try and comprehend it. Life completely free from sin, free from suffering, evil, and anything less than perfect, basking in the radiance of God's glory with the redeemed people from every nation, tribe, and language forever. We'll get more clear in proclaiming and living for the kingdom when we grow in our understanding of knowing how good the kingdom is. But part two will also grow in clarity when we understand how terrible the alternative is. To not be part of the kingdom doesn't mean that you'll be somewhere that's okay but not as good. No, it's to experience eternal conscious punishment. When you get that reality, you will grow in proclaiming the kingdom. You'll get clear on the priority of the kingdom when you're clear on the alternative to the kingdom. And part three, we'll grow clear on kingdom priorities as we continue to grow in our love for Jesus and what he's done. As we remember and let it wash over us that Jesus would experience the full force of God's wrath because of me and for me. If you find that you're not crystal clear on prioritizing the kingdom, come back, grow in and dwell on how good the kingdom is, how bad the alternative is, and what Jesus has done. And you'll grow more clear, more confident to proclaim and live for the kingdom. To misunderstand the purpose of something, has consequences, doesn't it? I misunderstood Kurt's present and I thought my boss had betrayed me if you misunderstand what Jesus came to do, you'll miss out on what he came to bring. And for those who follow Jesus, we've seen he's got an incredible clarity to his life that we're often missing. But we can grow in that clarity as we see how good the kingdom is, as we see how bad the alternative is, and what it took for Jesus to bring us from one to the other. For I was sent for this purpose. I must... Preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns and we'll see to the ends of the earth as well. Heavenly Father, please use your word this morning to grow us in clarity about who Jesus is and what he came to do. We are blown away by how good your kingdom is and we're so thankful that Jesus came to bring it and bring us to be part of it. Please help us to have clarity on the priority of the kingdom in our lives for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: As we reflect on what we've just heard, um, who Jesus is, what he came to do, uh, please join us as we sing about where our hope is found, and that if your hope is found today in Jesus, then you can praise God for that. Please stand and join us.